0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another special episode of the From the Hack podcast. My guest today is Brian Mudrick of TSN, who is not only involved in the network's curling coverage, but is also the play-by-play man for TSN's regional coverage of the Montreal Canadiens. So before we get started, if you've ever wondered how they get those nice graphics into the ice at Grand Slams, at the World Championships, and at Nationals in Canada and the U.S., well, the answer is provided by Jedice, whose in-ice graphics from Easy and Textile logos to the world-famous Jedi's full house product are great ways for clubs to enhance the appearance of their ice and to generate much-needed additional sponsorship revenues. Easy and Textile logos are the industry standard for high-quality logos, and are a snap to install. Meanwhile, Jedi's customizable full houses are a relatively new way for clubs to grow sponsorship revenues by offering maximum brand recognition to those sponsors. No one can match a Jedi's design services, quick turnaround times, and product quality, which is why Jedi's products are valued by major organizations such as Curling Canada, the World Curling Federation, USA Curling, and Sportsnet, who trust Jedi's to provide the products they require for their high-profile events. Jedi's. They bring ice to life before we get to my interview with brian i want to encourage everybody to stay in their bubble as they are referring to it now in canada stay home if you can and if you must venture out for work or even for groceries please be mindful as we attempt to flatten the curve as they say now on to the interview with brian mudrick which starts with a very important message from brian to all the healthcare workers that are on the front line right now battling this thing as hard as they can then we get some curling and other stuff i promise So Brian, not the way I typically start an interview, but considering what the world is going through right now, I thought I'd start by asking you how you're doing and how you've been coping and keeping busy in this time of social distancing.
1: Hey Frank, I'm doing just fine. You know, um, I'm lucky that I have my health, first and foremost, a roof over my head. I might have to self-quarantine myself from my wine cellar at this point. uh, But other than that, I feel pretty lucky and I'd like to start by uh, just sending a heartfelt thank you. Um, To our medical staff and doctors, nurses, and their families, everybody on the front lines. Uh, I had a post not too long ago on Twitter that was very heartfelt for me, um, for these individuals who are out there doing their thing for us, um, so we can continue to live our lives and get our groceries and social distance and do what we got to do um i told the story you know i was i was 17 when i had hodgkin's lymphoma and i had a rough go of that and i had a relapse and when i was 19 i was very ill to the point where if i had visitors they had to wear a mask or something or i would wear one so if i caught anything a cold or some sort of a virus or flu i probably wouldn't have made it And that's that's a dead serious uh statement it was bad and um so I, I think back to those days, and, and that's why I guess I have a, you know, I just feel for these nurses and doctors and the people that are putting, um, you know, their lives on the line to help keep us safe, and for those that are social, social distancing and doing what they got to do, man, I thank them, and um, as you said, it's, these are tough times, and it's uh, never in our lifetime have we seen anything like this, so uh, I'm grateful for what I have, especially my health, and I just want to send my... Uh, thanks out to those people that are out there keeping things going for us. So I'm, I'm very appreciative of that.
0: I was chatting with your colleague, Bob Weeks of uh, TSN, who covers uh, both uh, curling and golf uh, for uh, your network, and uh, and he shared his story of how surreal it was for him when the virus really came into focus in North America. One day, he was at the Players' Championship in Florida. They played one round in front of crowds. Then within 24 hours, they went from talking about finishing the event with no fans allowed on the course to cancelling the event outright, and before he knew it, he was on the plane back to Toronto. You and I were at the Tim Hortons Briar in Kingston, and then you were off uh, doing a race regular gig as a play-by-play man for tsn's regional coverage of the montreal canadians when things really started uh, ramping up with the virus uh, i was wondering if you could walk us through what you experienced between the end of the tim hortons briar and when the nhl decided and the other leagues decided to suspend their seasons
1: it was so surreal i mean i'm sure everyone has a story and will tell their kids and grandkids someday the where they were right it was uh pretty surreal I, you know even in Kingston. You know, I remember the news was starting to come out about this virus and and a lot more chatter about it. And I remember even thinking to myself, and people people assume that, you know, we're just going out and having a great time every night, which I wish was the case, not when you do the morning draws. But, you know, that was the first time I can remember, Frank, that I, I never went to the Briar Patch. And for me, being a kid that grew up curling and loved this game as much as anyone does, that was just sort of like a special thing for me to do, you know, at least once a year, pop in there for a beer and just enjoy being there and and talking to people. And I didn't go this year. I just felt, you know, I'm just going to, you know, distance myself from that and, and, you know, stay healthy. And as you mentioned, I had a crazy schedule. I had called the Scotties, and then I flew right to Montreal. I called a couple of games there, flew right back to Toronto, drove to Kingston, and did the Briar coverage. And then I was – I actually, right after the final, uh, right literally after interviewing uh, Brad Gushu, and they wrapped it up, I I drove back to Toronto – um, and I had to fly to Montreal the next day. So I was in Montreal. I called the Nashville game, and so obviously that was, you know, full arena, Bell Center, great great game. Habs lost that one, and um, they were playing again Thursday. So you know what? Wednesday, just like anything else, you do the skate, you do your prep work, whatever. And Wednesday night, my boss... Um, of live events, Paul Graham at TSN, who who has his hands full with lots of stuff, he happened to be in town, and um, it, I was at, I was in my hotel uh, just hanging, watching the, the Oilers uh, uh, Jets game was on, and and he said, hey, are you are you still you know are you around? I think he was having dinner with his daughter. And we just hooked up to have a lobby bar drink, and he already had known what was going to happen. And I it just was mind blowing. We, uh, you know, had a couple glasses of wine, and just were like, "Holy smokes!" So basically, you know, you all the you find out, you know what? NHL is going to come to a stop tomorrow. Um, the under 18 world hockey championship, which I love covering. It's all the draft eligible kids, you know, that was going to be canceled. We didn't know at that time about the world hockey championship. We didn't know at that time about the NHL draft in Montreal, which now we are, you know, learning all these events have been canceled, postponed, etc. And uh, the next day I basically got up and I went home and, uh, you know, Gary Bettman made the official announcement, I think around one o'clock. And like everybody else, you know, you're sort of numb, I think, for the first few days, and you're starting to uh, absorb this information. Uh, I was supposed to fly, after the game Thursday, fly to L.A. and San Jose and Anaheim for the West Coast swing for the Habs. So, and that was a hot spot at the time, right? You remember San Jose in the early, it feels, it still feels like it's early stages, but that was one of those cities, right, where we were wondering, okay, I guess we're going to call these games without fans. Like, wouldn't that be a first? Like, that, that would have been, wow, like, what a crazy time! And then it is amazing, Frank, how hourly the situation changed. And you know, you go then from that and that huge, you know, hectic schedule to being home to being told stay home to then being told, you know, what? Don't see your friends. Social distance. Don't go out at all. Um, wow, crazy! And uh, you know, so now a couple of weeks at this, and you just like I said, I, I now I think of the people on the front lines our medical people and people running the grocery stores for us and uh, our first responders, you know, so things going on. It's, uh, to me, you know, sports is an outlet, uh, but right now it doesn't seem like a lot when I think about the real problems in the world of people wondering their next paycheck, feeding their families, um, keeping their small business afloat. I mean, read the news or, you know, turn on the TV. So my heart goes out to a lot of those people right now, and that's, that's where kind of, I guess, my focus is, and I'm just wishing the best for everybody out there to do their best.
0: To be perfectly honest, Brian, I was a little concerned when I got back from the Briar in Kingston. Uh, you're in a bit of a bubble when you're covering a Briar, where you really don't have much time to to keep up with what's going on in the world. So I I really wasn't as mindful as I should have been the first few days I was there. And and I'll admit, when I got home, I spent a couple of weeks uh, checking my temperature each day and and hoping I wouldn't come down with the virus.
1: Exactly. And you know, and and those events, and I and it's even at that time. I remember people are awesome. Curling fans are, are the best, and it's one of my favorite you know, covering the Scotties and the Briar and even the juniors. I love it uh, every year. And But, you know, you go out, people want to say hi. They want to say, hey, I know your uncle from so-and-so, or they want a picture, or they want to shake your hand and just say thanks, or they enjoy the coverage, which, oh, my goodness, like how, how lovely is that, right? I wish I could shake a thousand hands. But, you know, it's one of those things, you know. It, it's You just have to be careful. And now, my goodness, now you look a couple weeks later on, on how crazy and, you know, how serious this thing is, Um you know what? At the end of the day, we're all in this thing together, and the sooner I think we take it seriously and hunker down, um, you know, the sooner we'll come out on the other end of this thing.
0: All right, let's talk a little curling. We've all had a couple of weeks now to reflect back on this year's Tim Hortons Brier. What did you think of the show the players put on uh, for Canadian curling fans in Kingston? Fabulous, outstanding, electric shots that were made to win games. I don't know if I recall a
1: Brier like that. I mean, there's been some exciting briars, but it seemed... Every time you you checked out an update or you looked across to another sheet, it was a highlight reel-type shot to win a game. Crazy comebacks in games. It was really cool entertainment and quality shots made to win these games. So, you know what, I don't remember the last time SportsCenter had that many, you know, pretty awesome curling shots um, after a briar. So it was awesome, and you were never – out of a game, and you never had what you would call, I guess, a safe lead. Uh, unfortunately, and I always say unfortunately because, you know, we want that big bang final. The final was actually pretty anticlimactic, unfortunately. You know, Brendan Botcher and their team, they just didn't seem to have their their game out of the gate. And, and really, after that first, second end, it was, it was uh, the Gushu train that was rolling, and they kind of took momentum. And, you know, Botcher, it's unfortunate if you're a fan of him or him or, you know, of, of Alberta. Uh, man, they were good all week and so consistent, and they just looked unstoppable. And Dushu had they had their ups and downs throughout the week, but, you know, they seemed to find that gear, that when it mattered in that championship weekend. Uh, and they, uh, especially Brad himself, my goodness, he had a couple of high, high percentage games. And I think him and in, in the final, him and Mark, if I'm not mistaken, were 99 or right up there. I mean, nearly perfect games in the game you want to be perfect in. And full credit. Uh, you know, those guys are putting together a bit of a mini little dynasty, um, you know, with uh, with the wins that they've racked up in the last two years as a team.
0: You just provided me with an excellent uh, segue, uh, Brian. In the media scrum after his team had won the Briar for the third time in four years, Brad Gushu was asked if he could call his team, or if we could call his team, a dynasty. And he said that those type of things were up to the media and curling fans to decide. Do you think that by winning their third Briar title in four years, that Team Gushu has staked their claim to being one of the better teams in Canadian curling history?
1: You know, I think they're in the conversation. Um, you look at the field, and that's what all the skips said at the beginning of things at Kingston. If you win this briar, you you've are you earned it, and you are definitely one of the uh, strongest teams and the best teams to ever win it, because that field was phenomenal. It was a strong field, tons of heavyweights, trying to pick the top four to make the playoffs. Good luck. I mean, it was, uh, it was a great battle. And a lot of teams were not giving up and and fighting through. And you look at what the tiebreaker situations and, you know, Brad Jacobs keeping his streak alive for making the playoffs at the Briar. And that didn't come easy. That was a marathon for their team. So it was really, you know, one of those situations. You win it and you you spent your, your legacy a little bit more. And as you mentioned, three in the last four years, and Brad and Mark, that Olympic gold medal on their resume, you go back to the Canadian juniors and on and on. I mean, those young men, they have, they've have—they've won a lot in curling. And uh, that's a pretty special team. And uh, I don't, they're not, it's not like they're a bunch of old guys. <laughs> you know, who knows the the limit is for that team. So, I mean, um, legacy and dynasty and all that, uh, you know, you're right. I, you can, I mean, I'll let the, the, I guess I am in the media but in, in a sense, but, Uh, Other people can make those debates, but what I see on the ice and how hard those guys work, uh, you know, tip of the cap, because that's been a hell of a run they've been on the last few years against some quality teams.
0: Now, I want to take you back to an event that feels like it took place 10 years ago now with everything that has gone on in the world over the past few weeks. Uh, You were in Moose Jaw for the Scotties. Uh, What were your impressions of this year's Scotties?
1: Again, it just, it was awesome drama you know, and one of the best finals, I mean, back and forth and you know, you look at Rachel Holman and how she lost to Chelsea Carey the year before, you know, had that what was it, five one lead or whatever, and and you know, Chelsea battled and clawed and found a way to win it and the ice got a little bit so uh, I guess weird you could say in and, and that final and then a year later Rachel Holman nearly did the same thing. Um, you know, to that uh, great team from Manitoba and for Carrie Anderson, to her credit, you know what, when she had that chance to win it in 10 and Rachel stole, you know, that that could have worked, you know, <laughs> that could have went a number of ways and full credit to that young lady, she had the chance again and she made good on it and made that draw and um, you know, it, it was awesome. It was, it was great drama. It was a full congratulations to those young women. I'm absolutely gutted for both of our Canadian teams, uh, you know, Carrie would have been just so proud and was proud to, you know, her and her teammates to put on that maple leaf and represent Canada in Canada. And when I talk to people that have done that, like Kathy Goche, who I work with, you know, to, to put that maple leaf on in your own country, what an honor. And for this uh, this pandemic, you know, for both our Canadian teams, for, you know, Gucci's team and Carrie's team, uh, they did us so proud. And uh, I don't know how this is all going to shake out in the wash, but. Um, we were treated, certainly, to two spectacular events and finals. Uh, you know, the women's final, anyways, was was very dramatic and a lot of uh, fun to be a part of.
0: What did you make of all the lineup changes that were announced on both the women's and men's sides in the days following the end of the Briar, especially among the, uh, some of the elite teams like Team Holman and Team Cooey? Does it surprise you that so many teams made significant changes midway through uh, the Olympic cycle? You know, Frank, I think, you know, I and can't, I can't
1: speak um you know to what why they made their own individual moves but i guess what i can say is that these teams you know they work so hard to make the olympics and to peek at those trials and if they feel for whatever their personal reasons are you know as we get closer that they need to make a tweak maybe the chemistry is kind of you know the spark has been lost a little bit for whatever reason or or, you know what maybe there's things going on behind the scenes that you and i will never actually know or maybe those reasons come out later down the line. Um, you have to make these tweaks if you're a skip, or you're when you're a skip, it's part like a business, and you got to be a manager, and you're managing personalities, and it's a team dynamic. So for whatever reason, I mean, as an outsider, you say, my goodness, Lisa Weagle, you know, the tick shot, and, and the Weagle shot that she pulls off, and again, another all-star for her at the Scotties, and Team Holman self for whatever reason, they had to shake that up. And then for Jennifer Jones to snagger that quickly and have this sort of five-woman rotation team, that'll be interesting to see how they make that work. So, um, and as for Kevin Cooey, I mean, there's a guy that has, you know, uh, wants to get back, I'm sure, hungry to get back to the Olympics. He's been so successful the last decade making Briars, Briar finals, etc. And again, they just felt that was a tweak they had to make. And if you have a guy like John Morris, who seems to sound like he is motivated to play again, Geez, what more could you ask for on a resume? John's literally won everything, like everything. He's won everything you can win. So to have him and to come down play the second position for that team only makes them stronger. It's no offense to Colton, but again, these are these are tough decisions that have to be made. And if those teams feel a spark, a change has to happen. Well, they got to make it. And it doesn't matter really when, if they feel this is their best thing and to do it now, well, now they have, you know, another full season or time before these trials to get invested together, get motivated. And Jennifer Jones, for an example, this is an opportunity to see what's going to happen. Is this going to work with five people? They have time to make a tweak, and maybe we see more changes there. Who knows? You just don't know. And uh, listen, if Wayne Gretzky can get traded, anything's possible in the world of sport, right? So uh, maybe we'll see some more down the line. Who knows?
0: One of the nice things about covering the sport of uh, curling, as you know, uh, Brian, is that the athletes, uh, even the best players in the world, are still very accessible to the media compared to to the NHL and some of the other leagues, uh, where access to the players seems to be much more controlled. Is that a is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I think it's different in the sense that obviously,
1: you know, I you know I chatted in Ben Hebert's words, not mine, but you know, uh, at the Olympics where they're all one team, Canada, you know, Ben jokes i make fifty thousand a year shea weber makes 50 you know a million so it's like it's different obviously um you know you hope someday that it works out somehow that curlers do have a chance to make elite money and be able to just put all their you know their rocks in one basket pardon the awful pun but that they could uh just make that kind of dough and and make that their full time career some of them sort of have uh but it's tough Like anything else, the Montreal Canadiens, they have a PR department and, uh, you know, for the most part, you you go into the room and you have access to certain players and you can have a chat and write your stories or... For mine, it's a little different. All as a broadcast rights holder for TSN, we get a little time with Cole Julian, for example, and it's great to pick his brain. Maybe we want to talk about a power play change, or maybe he's got a new player that he's called up, or he's dealing with injuries. So, if we want to talk about something off the top of the show, or build upon that in a storyline for the broadcast during an icing call, or you know, at a commercial, that's great opportunity. And you know, the curlers are great too. Curling Canada does a good job. I, I see. I mean, you're on the road. You see how it works. You fill out your request and. I don't know ever in the history of curling if I've ever had someone tell me no, like, you know, if you got a couple minutes, can I just pick your brain about something? They're, they're pretty great, and they're kind of common folk, and, uh, you know, and I, I don't think I've ever been told no from any curler, um, you know, to get a request or just get a tidbit about about the, the broadcast or the story. Because, I mean, I think generally they, they know what we're trying to do. I mean, they're pretty smart. They, they get what we're doing. Um, and it's a, it's a lovely sport to cover because it's just that very blue-collared um, sort of attitude. And, and you're right, the accessibility is, is, is awesome, and, and we always appreciate that from them.
0: If you're looking to buy some new curling equipment, look no further than Hardline. They offer premium curling equipment that is a choice of the world's top curlers. Whether it's the U.S. Olympic gold medalist, Team Schuster, or women's Olympic gold medalist, Sweden's Team Hasselberg. Or how about the top Canadian teams, Briar champs, Team Cooey, Team Gushu, Team Jacobs, Team Carruthers, and world champions, Team Adine and Team Tiernzoni. Hardline's new composite broom, the Hybrid Helium, is the lightest composite broom on the market, and it's perfect for beginners. Hardline also offers a full range of equipment to get you playing your best, including shoes, apparel, and the Pro Slide delivery aid designed by Reed Carruthers. Visit their website at www.hardlinecurling.com and join the revolution. As mentioned at the top of this interview, Brian also does a play-by-play for TSN's regional coverage of the Montreal Canadiens. So Brian and I spent a few minutes discussing broadcasting and the sport of hockey. Brian, in as much detail as you care to get into, can you describe what game day is like for you as a play-by-play man for TSN's Montreal Canadiens games?
1: Great question, uh, Frank. I get asked that a lot. You know, we'll pretend it's a, a game in Montreal, for example. Um, I'll go to Broussard, which is just inside of Montreal, cross the uh, the bridge and go to their morning skate and see the line rushes. Sometimes it's an optional, but you get a pretty good idea from that, who's in, who's out, uh, maybe some injury updates. Um, Claude will speak to the media English-French, and then they'll open up the room. Uh, obviously, there'll be some players that you can, people can make specific requests, but usually you'll scrum some players. For my purposes, uh, let's say I'll uh, we'll just use uh, Jordan Wheel, young player uh, getting an opportunity with the injuries. Uh, maybe let's just say he's been getting some power play time. So maybe I'll just have a quick chat with Jordan about his role, how it's been going, where his confidence is at, Maybe he's got moved to the half wall, whatever. Whatever it may be, maybe I'll ask Claude Julien and we get some time with him as the um, as the broadcast rights holder. We'll get a little bit of time with Claude, who's great with us. Maybe ask him the same if we talk in power play or maybe the penalty kill's been a struggle or a great thing or, or maybe Carey Price has been great or not great. And you, you pick whatever topic that you're thinking So that way me and my color guy, whether it's Mike Johnson, Dave we will get some information about maybe what we want to open the show with. So if if Dave uh, Poulin wants to talk about Thomas Tatar and his great production and what he's meant, then maybe we talk to Coach about Tatar. Maybe if Tatar is available, we ask him a little tidbit of this or that, and we got some info for that. Um, We get access to the game sheets, um, game notes, the morning of, and that's got everything. I mean, you got all the stats you could wish for, Do you have opposition, who's hot, are they on a goal-scoring streak, how have they done against this team? I mean, a lot of it is just digging through and fishing out the notes you think that the viewers would be interested in. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to digest and go through. I try pick, at least me, I try to pick something that you might want to know, Frank, like, not that, you know, the shots are 10-9 in the second period, like, who cares? But, like, Maybe, you know, I guess Yemi Emmy of his 11 career goals, six of them have come against the Washington Capitals. You know, whatever. Like, so you pull through all that stuff. You try to find the relevant little nuggets that the viewers might like or enjoy. Five o'clock, I mean, I, I usually will work on that. Stats that have been built that you'll see on your screen at a commercial break. Maybe power play stuff. Maybe, you know, this against their former team. If Max Pacioretty's in town, this is, you know, him with the Habs, him now with Vegas, whatever, right? You could build a thousand things. Uh, we go over those and then it's puck drop. And then I have the best office in the NHL, man. It's awesome. Um, and it's a lot of work, you know, you, you, you prep, you got to memorize the numbers of the opposition, you know, who, who wears what number for the other team, you know, the Habs, obviously after a while, you know them in your sleep. Um, and it's just making sure you're entertaining and it's fun. And uh, even in the four, nothing game, you do your best to make it entertaining for the fan base and make them want to keep watching Um and we take a lot of pride in being uh, over-prepared and ready for anything.
0: So the following question is usually much more apropos when someone has been at their job for several years. Uh, that said, now that you've had a couple of seasons under your belt as the play-by-play man for the Montreal Canadiens, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back and, uh, and, and have a chat with Brian Mudrick the day before he called his first Montreal Canadiens game?
1: That might be a better question for ten-year Brian Mudrick. Um, you know what, Frank? I think the big thing, it's like anything in life, Um, The more reps you get, the more comfortable you are, the more confident you get at it. Um, Year two, you've been to these buildings before, you're getting to, you know, you get to know the um, other broadcasters from the other cities to get some help, tidbits, just to, you know, shoot the breeze at coffee before the game. Um, You feel more comfortable with it. Your flow, I think, gets better um you know you're you you get to know the players better the coaching staff you get some better storylines you try to get some more color i I think relax and have fun you know um at the end of the day we're not this is not we're not uh curing cancer it's not rocket science we're there to provide uh, entertainment for people we want to make the game fun we want to um, you know, make games that are boring as fun as we can. Make it exciting. Tell some cool stories. Get the viewers involved and make them feel like they're there at the Bell Center with you uh, or wherever you may be. Um, I think, you know, it's easy to say, oh, relax more, kid. You know, enjoy it more. I think that comes naturally after time, after getting the reps in. I've tried to not be as hard on myself. Uh, I've put a lot of pressure on myself, year one. Uh, I'm going into a new market and obviously, a iconic franchise where there's been broadcasters way before me who are legends you know what bob cole danny gallivan the list goes on of these greats that have called the game and that team for years so i'm trying not to put as much pressure on myself i hold myself to a pretty high standard you know what i may not have the most experience or the best voice or the best call but i always promise myself that no one would ever outwork me um ever so i come in prepared looking to have fun and getting better every day and and uh i leave it i leave it all out there whether i have a headache or i'm not feeling good or i got shit going on at home like we all do uh year one i was losing my brother to cancer and uh and we lost him and that was uh, a lot of people maybe knew that or didn't but it was really hard that was uh hard to stay focused and try to do a good job we uh we lost him in december and uh i got to go home to alberta and say goodbye to him And then I had to go call the game that night. You know, my choice and our family's choice, and we all, we all, as he would tell you, keep on keeping on. That was his slogan. God, I miss him. But you know, that's that's that was a hard year. And this year, it's been a lot more fun, if that's the right word. I've, I've tried to enjoy it more, and and I and I feel an absolute honor and privilege, Frank, every time I walk up, and it never gets old it will never get old to walk into that building or any NHL rink. And I feel very lucky and blessed and honored. And I don't take what I do for granted.
0: And finally, Brian, I wanted to end on a moment you got to experience up close that was very Canadian. How cool was it to interview a member of the Tragically Hip in his hometown of Kingston, in the building where the band played their last concert, speaking to him during the Briar, one of Canada's most iconic sporting events? Oh,
1: Paul Langlois, yeah, it was pretty cool.
0: You know, that... Paul actually, and a lot of
1: musicians were lucky. Um, my golf club is uh, Summit. It's uh, just outside of Toronto, and a good—he's also a buddy of mine—is our director of golf, uh, Ian Leggett, who's one on the PGA Tour. And Ian, with his reach and his, his friends and, and his network. Uh, Paul and a bunch of the band members and and people have come to our golf club to raise money for it's called Stomp the Stigma and it's for mental health initiatives and I'm proud of my golf club and and what we do so it was neat because you see these guys on a different level outside of being musicians but in getting to sit down and talk with Paul about his city the pride that he has in Kingston and it was interesting you know he's very I, I knew he was very well spoken obviously and he's a and he but when he when I asked him specifically about you know, we knew that Gord was sick and we all, we all loved and mourned with Canada when we lost him too soon. But when he talked about, you know, that final concert, what would be the final concert for the band in Kingston and the answer he gave me, I almost forgot I was doing an interview right? I'm like any other Canadian fan. I got to see them in London during their, their sort of last tour. And when Paul was like, you know, we didn't really think it'd be his last concert or, or hurrah. We thought, you know, he was going to beat this thing. And I've, again, you know what, I'm, I, it's pretty cool. I feel lucky uh, in this role that I have and the job I've, I, you know, I've been blessed with and a work to get uh, to meet these, these types of people. And Paul was awesome and, and it was neat. And, and it was amazing the text messages and the feedback that I got, you know, from, from that. But like, the tra- and I meant what I said to him when I finished the interview. I'm like, my family has butchered hundreds of your songs around the campfire at two in the morning after probably one too many glasses of wine. But how Canadian is that? Like, you have not sang like, Three Pistols or Wheat Kings or New Orleans is sinking, oh, my God, pick whatever around the campfire. Are you even Canadian? You know, so that, for me, it was pretty cool to get to have that moment with him. And, and they, they curl. He's a pretty good curler. They have... Uh, you know, they threw the opening stones at the Travelers event there a couple of years ago. Um, so that was pretty neat that uh, he could apparently throw the rock pretty good,
0: too. So there you go. And that does it for this special episode of the From the Hack podcast. A very big thank you to my guest, Brian Woodrick of TSN. If you haven't done so yet, please follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. My name is Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack.